Okay, let's, 1 Samuel 9, we were introduced to Saul. 1 Samuel 8, the people said, give us a king that he may judge us like the nations. Give us a king that he may fight battles for us like all the nations. And then in 1 Samuel 9, we were introduced to Saul, who from his shoulders and up was taller than any of the people. He was described as a good-looking man. Uh, Saul looks the part of being a king over Israel. But the Bible tells us in uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 9 that, um, that he is originally looking for his father's bones. And, and as we stated the other day, as Isaiah stated the other day, that doesn't present a favorable image of a shepherd because he can't find the donkeys. Matter of fact, in verse 4, there was an emphasis on this, that wherever he goes, he could not find them. I think that's found three times. He could not find them. And Saul seems like the only one in all the land of Israel who doesn't know about Samuel. His servant says, let's go to the cedar. And he's just, you know, basically what's here. And uh, then when he sees the cedar, Samuel, he doesn't, he doesn't recognize him. He, he says, uh, is, I'm looking for the cedar. And he says, well, I am the cedar. Saul is not viewed as the most spiritually perceptive person. But, but I do think that it was right the other day when we, when we close, when Saul is originally spoken to, and, and you can see that there are great plans, there are great designs for Saul. Uh, that uh, it is said in verse 19, for whom is all that is desirable in the land of Israel, verses 19 and 20, he recognizes that, that Samuel's prophesying something great about him, and he says in verse 21, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? In my family, the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin, why then do you speak to me in this way? Why, why are you saying such great things about me? When he hears from God, that he's got a, God has a great plan for him, or God has a great role for him. Maybe he doesn't perceive the role of king yet, but when he hears this, he's overwhelmed, just like Moses was, just like Gideon was in Judges 6. And now Saul is. If Saul's life only ends so humble as it began, and I do think there are going to be several signs of humility in what we look at tonight. But I don't believe we commented the other night on verses 22 through 27 of 1 Samuel 9. So we're going to begin there. That Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who were invited, who were about 30 men. So Saul is invited to eat with this group that's coming to eat with Samuel, about 30 men. And Saul and his servant are given chief seats at the table. 
in verse 23, Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion that I gave you concerning which I said to you, set it aside. Then the cook took up the leg that was on it and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here is what has been reserved. Set it before you and eat because it has been kept for you until the appointed time since I said I have been invited. I said I have invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. So he eats with Samuel. He has a choice portion of meat. He has a choice seat in the house. Saul has only wandered in looking for lost donkeys. And look at what happens. He's uh, invited to the head of the table and given uh, the best of food. In verse 25, when they came down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof, and they arose early, and it came about at daybreak that Samuel called to Saul on the roof and said, Get up, that I may send you away. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went into the street. And they were going down to the edge of the city. Samuel said to Saul, Say to the servant that he might go on ahead of us and pass on, but you remain standing there until I proclaim the word of God to you. And let's read 10.1. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him, and says, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? So Samuel and Saul speak together. Samuel wants to anoint Saul privately. I'm not exactly sure the reason for that. Why he anoints him privately. But, but he anoints him privately. He anoints him with oil. Now, the word anointed, it is, it is the verb form um, of the word from which we get the New Testament word Christ. Christ the name. So every anointed ruler ultimately foreshadows him as ruler. It foreshadows Jesus. But I want you to notice the language that's used here. First of all, notice that Saul is not described as king in verse 1. Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler? Later, when we get to around verses 23 and 24, Saul will be described as king. But the first several instances, it is mentioned that he is going to be a ruler over the people. In, in chapter 9, verse 16, if you look back there, in 9, 16, he was described as prince. He is described as ruler in 10, verse 1. But he's prince, he's ruler, but the term king is not used yet. And I think... There is a care to guard that term to make sure that people know the real king is God. As God told Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me from ruling over them. God is their king. God is the one who delivers them. And also notice the people, how they are described in verse 1. The people are described as God's inheritance. 
Even though uh, this man, Saul, is going to be a ruler, he's even going to be a king, that turns to the huge. It's God's people that he's ruling. If you're ruling God's people, you better make sure that you're handling them as God would have them to be handled and dealt with. What ideas do you have? These thoughts right there. Okay. Let's start here at verse 2. And what we're going to find is there are three signs given to Saul. Three signs that are given to Saul in these verses. In verse 2 is the first one. When you go from me today, you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you have been looking for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? So he's going to meet, first of all, the first sign in verse 2, he's going to meet two men who will tell him, that his donkeys have been found. What is what is the importance of that message that the donkeys have been found? Who who has told Saul that previously? Samuel told him that. Samuel said that to him in chapter uh, 9 in verse uh, 19. They have been found. And, and by the way, Samuel tells him that. Samuel tells him that without Saul asking questions, does he? Saul hasn't asked the question about it, but he answers the question. He is a prophet, and God has given him this special revelation. Now, considering what Sarah said, that it is Samuel who's told him this. What will, hearing this message, these two men will meet you and tell you the donkeys have been found, what will they lead him to do? What will they lead him to think? Samuel is a true prophet. Samuel is a true prophet, and he can trust Samuel's words. Is that what you're going to say, David? Okay, yes. And he had been concerned about that before. He says, I'm afraid my father is going to be concerned about him. And they're going to also share that uh, information. And, uh, but, but I think it particularly shows us that Samuel's word can be trusted. So when Samuel has anointed him with oil and told him he's going to be king, I, I know that's probably a big deal to wrap your arms around that fast. And yet, this will remind him that Samuel's word can be trusted. 
And uh, let's look in verse 3 and 4 at the second sign. Then you will go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men are going up to God at Bethel, and they will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. So, here he's going to encounter three men who are going up to God at Bethel. They, one's carrying three goats, one carrying three loaves of bread, and one carrying a jug of wine. I'm probably not going to write down everything they were carrying, but he meets these three men going up to God, going up to Bethel, the house of God, and uh, as they are going up to God, they're going to give him two loaves of bread. Two of the three loaves of bread. Now, my guess is that when you were traveling on the road in the ancient Near East, and three people with three goats and three loaves of bread and a jug of wine just happened to be a stranger, they don't generally hand hey, here's two loaves of bread. What does doing that probably indicate? It may be, when it happens, he'll understand the true prophet, yes, because it came true. And also, I thought it may indicate that, that somehow Saul is in a new position, that he's going to receive such kind of gifts from person. It may point to, it points to obviously uh, he can trust Samuel's word, but also the fact he may be king. He may be king. David, where's, our, where's Robert with the microphone? Um, so, he and Bob are not matching tonight, so... He, it also mentioned earlier that Saul was out of breath, being a servant, because uh, they were looking for something to give to the seer. Okay. And so, it may have been obvious that they didn't have any breath. Okay. Okay, very good. Very good. Um, very good. That, 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 could, that, that does tie in, David. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I'd forgotten about that point. The third point, and this will be the only point where the fulfillment will be emphasized. It says in verses 5 and 6, Afterwards you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, uh, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you shall meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them. And they will be prophesying, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon him mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. So he's going to meet a group of prophets. He's going to meet a group of prophets who will be prophesying. And these prophets who will be prophesying, uh, they will come with all kinds of instruments. Sometimes in the Old Testament, you see people singing under the influence of instruments. First Chronicles 25 is an example, and that's described as prophesying. 
But, but here they're going to be prophesying the Spirit of the Lord is going to come on Saul and change him into a different person. So these are the three signs that are given to Saul. Now the only one that is recorded is this last one. The text tells us that they, uh, they, they all take place, but the last one is the one that's recorded. It's recorded to emphasize to us that all of them, all of them were fulfilled. Um, in, in verse 7, it'll come about when these signs come upon you, do for yourself what the occasion requires. For God is with you, and you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'll come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, and you shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what to do. Now, um, some of you have the translation there. The NIV has the translation. Um, you do whatever, um, whatever you want, whatever the occasion desires. Who has the NIV here in verse 7? Anybody have that? Okay. About that? It says do whatever your hand finds to do. Okay, do whatever your hand finds to do. Something that the whatever may be a little bit too open, um, that 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 it may give him unlimited permission. Uh, but the wording in New American Standard is simply do what the occasion requires. But whatever whatever is being told to Saul here, it is not just unlimited. You do whatever is right in your own eyes. Because ultimately, as a king, he's going to be subject to the prophetic message through Samuel. As verse 8 indicates, uh, you're going to go down, Samuel tells him to Gilgal, and, and I'm going to come down and offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to you. But these will be signs, when all these, things, these three things take place, they will be signs that God has chosen Saul to be king. If Saul has trouble believing it, and I understand why he might, if he was going to have trouble believing it, then um, this is going to convince him. Well, in verse 9, it happened when he turned back to leave, to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all these signs came about on that day. When they came down to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so he prophesied among them. And it came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man there answered and said, Now who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. So, the Spirit of God came upon Saul, he prophesied. What do you think it means when they ask the question, is Saul among the prophets? 
Now, I want to tell you before you answer. Um, I only read like three or four commentaries, and all of them had a vastly different attack on it. So there are a lot of different ideas. But anybody venture to to say your idea? Be salt among the prophets. David is a man of their prayer. What kind of strikes me that uh, they're saying salt? That's like the last person I would expect. Okay. Okay, that's right. That could be what it means. You know, salt, salt, you know. You know, it's like a one, I heard one older preacher say when I was younger, he, he said that um, he had gotten in some trouble locally. And he said, the, the, the sheriff, after he became a preacher, said, if I was told to, to shoot everybody I thought might be a preacher, I would have not wasted a bullet on you. Uh, and and uh, he was, <laughs> and uh, that, so that could be the idea. It could be the idea saw among the prophets. But, Craig, Craig, did you go in? Okay. Yeah, so he, uh, he, was, he met up with a couple other prophets, and it seems like he started to interact with the prophets all of a sudden. And they're seeing this, and that's why like, what's going on here? Saul is with the prophets. Yes. It's just, it's not his expected company, you know. Even if it, if it, even maybe if he's not the last one, it's not his expected company. By the way, that question is asked again, First Samuel 19.24, in another event we'll, we'll, we'll cover in the future. Now, let me ask you this, and this may get you to another, look in from another side of the coin. Did prophets always have, and I'm not saying they shouldn't have, but did they always have the best reputations in Israel? You remember the time in Jehu? Jehu was sitting there with the commanders. Jehoram is king of Israel. One of the sons of the prophets comes running in. It seems like he's breathlessly breaking through the door. And he says, I have a message for you. And he says, Jehu says, which one of us? And uh, he says, for you, commander. And they go into the back room. And he anoints him. He says, the Lord has told me you're to be king over Israel. And then he runs. He leaves without giving any other explanation to people. And when Jamie comes out, the people say, what did that crazy fellow do? What did that mad fellow do? And he says, you know the man. What kind of talk is this? And he says, what he said. And he says, we told him to be king of Israel. So the prophets didn't always have the best reputation either. And so, could it be, and some suggested this, the opposite of what David said, which I'm more inclined to take what, what David was saying, than this view. But the opposite view is, the prophets are so undignified, but Saul doing among them. He's the son of Kish, and yet the question is asked of those prophets in verse 12, who's their father? You know, who, who do they belong to? So, and, and what Lloyd was saying is just not the company he keeps, but all those are possibilities, and I'm sure there are others, if somebody wants to share them or ask about them. But whatever, it is incredible proof to Saul. He's going to be 
Now, what's the likelihood that these things should happen about your parents? All these things had happened that day, just like Samuel said. He is a prophet. All these things comes to pass. Now, the fact that Saul knows that from day one, day one of becoming king, what should that lead him to do? Trust God and listen to Sam. Because Sam was speaking for God. Listen to what he says. If he says something, even though it may seem unlikely, it's going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. Okay, verses 14 through 16. 1 Samuel 10. Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, Where did you go? And he said to look for the donkeys. And when we saw that we could not find, they could not be found, we went to Samuel. This seems to perk up the ears of Saul's uncle. And in verse 15, Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. Verse 16, So Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Saul had mentioned. Or Samuel had mentioned, excuse me. So, here he is talking to his uncle. Talking casually. Couldn't find the donkeys. Um, and uh, we read to Samuel. And, and, and Samuel, what did Samuel say? Well, again, everybody seemed to know Samuel and know the problem except Saul. Saul, Saul was kind of oblivious before, but, but here his family knew about it. And he says, well, well what more did Samuel say? And, and you know, I don't know if you're like me, but if, you know, if I just been told that I was going to be a king, I'd probably forget it too. Uh, no big deal. You know, and, 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 but, but what does it tell you about Saul? And I recognize that this is subject to interpretation. But the fact that they, he asked, what did he say? And he doesn't say anything about the kingdom. What did he tell me about Saul? Craig? Uh, that was a question I have for you. It, does he not believe it? You know, Samuel's giving him this message and this proof, and not only he doesn't tell his uncle about it, but when they start picking it, he's hiding on the baggage. Yeah. Isn't that he didn't? I, I do think he believes it. I mean, I think it's going to be hard at this point not to after he's given his three signs than they get to feel. So Lloyd's going to answer your question and my question. Uh, Lloyd? I don't know that I have the answer, but it seems like he's sort of overwhelmed and he's kind of processing it. Okay. He's not really just ready to just say what well, he also said, I'll be king. It really ought to think of Fox I mean, you know, uh, you go and look at the lost donkeys and all of a sudden, you know, this guy that you don't know who's the respected leader of the nation says you're the king, Karen? He also didn't have a very um, big ego, a good self-image um, when 
he was told that. You know, he was like, I never feel like I have Benjamin. And I, the, my family is the least of all the Benjamites. Yeah. I, I don't deserve this. Yes, yes. Yes, and in several hands, go ahead and hand it off to Carrie and Boyd. And I said, well, just, this was not the order of handwriting, but we're just going by geography now. We're the closest. Uh, go ahead, honey. It was common for God to pick the most unlikely because Amos, when he told Amos, uh, Amos said uh, as a riot, I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, I'm a herdsman and a grower of. Yes, it is not a surprise when you look at the big story of Scripture, you're right. But how many times does God choose the one who promised to come when it's not the first one? I mean, it's just been a constant pattern. I do think there would always be an element of being overwhelmed if you were the one chosen in that story. Uh, but boy, I think, I think that's, that's it. I think you feel lucky. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You want to uh, make sure and uh, yes, I would. I would want to talk because you do have to keep coming from the people that don't keep still. Okay. Uh, yes, Isaiah. Well, I, I can't help but think that maybe there's some wisdom here. This is this seems to be good to be true. You yeah. don't know exactly how all this is going to happen. Maybe just keep your mouth shut for a little while. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, so, yeah. Well, I'll have the microphone. Who is this guy? Who is the uncle? And, uh, and the, the father is the one who's been worried. Where is he? Why isn't he the one to come out and greet and ask these questions? Uh, we don't know. Some have thought that his uncle may be Abner. You know, but, but it's not, his name is not introduced here. And so that may indicate he's an uncle that does not play a part in the story. Does it doesn't eliminate it? Could be somebody we know later on, but but it doesn't seem to be Sarah. I'm wondering if part of what Samuel told him, you shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. If part of it is he's doing he's waiting, is that Samuel meant for him to wait yeah. Yes. He's cautious to take activity on his own. Some think, some criticize Saul a little here and say he's being too timid. But I really do think that when we first see him, he's legitimately humble. It seems like to me he was at 9:31. He is here. I take his response to what we're about to read the same way, that he is legitimately humble. Now, that's not going to be a word we would apply to him later on. And I think that tells us something. I think um, I, at some point I said this to uh, my, my friend Baxter Dickey's psychology that I think that all people in the Bible even made an interesting psychological study. Um, 
But those first piece of reluctance to King, and then when anybody else, and see if anybody else can grab that position, he's trying to eliminate them and do everything he can. But I think one thing this story tells us is even people who have genuine, humble beginnings, once they come to places of power or authority, can forget all about that and then become tremendously self-centered. We are tempted by trials and difficulties and hard times. We are tempted by those things. But we are tempted too by successes. We are tempted by things going our way. We are tempted when the crowds are changing our name. We are tempted to forget that God is the reason for our everybody. And they will change his name. They will say Saul was slain his thousands, but he will get angry because David is slain his tens of thousands. But I think it shows us the ability of power and authority and position to corrupt. It's funny you should say a psychological peek into Saul. Inferiority complex. Those that feel inferior that are in power overcompensate also, which I think you see Saul do over and over again. And just power becomes the thing to. saying uh, there's a lot of truth. I mean, I've known people that seem from the outside very cocky and get to know them closely. Sometimes it's the opposite. Uh, they're really insecure. But, but I will say, in final analysis, and this is hard for all of us to overcome, but the problem may be very similar in both cases that we're way too focused on ourselves. Instead of God, I'm no professional in that matter, but, but sometimes we focus too much on who we are instead of who he is. I want us to read this next account. It's still about Saul becoming king. We're going to read it. And first of all, I'm going to ask you, where are a couple of stories in the Old Testament like this where you find the various people being selected and finally they whittle it down to one person. I'm going to ask you that. And are we going to see the same kind of things we're just saying here? What, what, what's going on in this case? But, but first of all, Samuel's going to preach a little sermon to them in verses 17 through 19. But, but in this section, we'll read 17 through 27. The Bible says, Therefore Samuel called to the people, called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. 
But you have today rejected your God who delivered you from all your calamities and from all your distresses. Yet you have said, no, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Now let me say a word about that. So Samuel's speaking before they go through this ceremony of selecting a king. He emphasizes, I want you to hear what the Lord says. The Lord is emphasizing how he brought you out of Egypt and he delivered you from the house of slavery. Egypt, deliverance from Egypt was exhibit A in the Old Testament of God's power and God's love for his people. And it should have forever led them to trust him as the cross and resurrection of Jesus should forever lead us to trust God. But he says, I did all this for you, but you've rejected him. You've rejected him who has delivered you time after time from all your calamities, all your troubles. And you said, no, set a king over us. Set a king over us. And um, that's what you said. The reason that this is rejection of God, and we'll see more of this in 1 Kings 12, is they were depending on the seen king, the visible king that they could lay their eyes on to do what only the invisible God could do. And it's easier to trust something you can see at times, even if it's just a person, than it is to trust something that's unseen. And uh, that's going to be true of the people. We'll see more about that in chapter 12. But, but this is the part where I wanted to ask you, beginning in verse 20, where do we see an account like this in the Old Testament? Verse 20. Thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by families, and the Matrite tribe family was taken. And Saul the son of Kish was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. So they ran and took him from there. And when he stood from among the people, he was taller than any of the people from shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there's no one like him among the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each to his house. And Saul also went to his house at Gibeah and the valiant men whose, whose heart God had touched, whose heart God had touched went with him. But, a certain, but certain worthless men said, How can this one deliver us? And they despised him and did not bring him any present, but he kept silent. So 20 through 22, they brought the tribe of Israel near, tribe of Benjamin's taken. Then they bring the families of Benjamin near, and the family is taken. Then they choose the person, and Saul is taken. Apparently you could be taken in this without even being present. And they said, well, is he here yet? Like, they can't find him. And he's hiding among the baggage. I love the old King James generic. He was hiding among the stuff. Good generic. Now, 
Maybe it's not with that kind of background. And, but Saul is hiding among the baggage. And they run and they get him. And, and one writer that I was looking at said when they unfold him, uh, when they bring him out with the people, you know, they keep unfolding him. Because from his shoulders and up, he is taller than any of the people. And uh, he would have been hard to miss. And hard to hide. But he hides in this crowd. <coughs> and Samuel says, look at him. Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Maybe Samuel too is impressed by his appearance. Remember, Samuel later who had to be told, don't look at his appearance. Or the height of his stature. For the Lord doesn't see like man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But they're all impressed, or most all, are impressed by Saul. There's no one like him among the people, Samuel proclaims. And the people shall long live the king. Now, you do have an old King James. I don't know if any of you have that right now. How does it translate long live the king? God saved the king. God blessed the king. Or God, I think God saved the king. But it's interesting what they did. That's not the literal translation is long live the king. But they took what was shouted in England at that time as being shouted when Saul. Certainly we should, we should apply all the customs of England, England in the 1600s to ancient Israel. Uh, but, but I just think that's interesting how that influenced that translation. I just think that's interesting. But anyway, there are some people... Uh, first of all, Samuel wants to remind the people of the ordinances of the kingdom, verse 25, and he writes them in a book. And, and, and a lot of people think, and, and I, I think too, that this probably ties with Deuteronomy 17. Now Deuteronomy 17, a king was told forbidden from multiplying three things. And he was told to do positively one thing. But what was he, or really a series of things, one series of things. What were the three things that he was forbidden from multiplying? You shouted out. Flies, horses, made silver and gold. Silver and gold. So don't multiply silver and gold. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wives. He was told not to do that. King cannot use his position simply to take whatever he wants. 
here that he's writing down how he should act. That would be in 1 Samuel 8 how he did act. How, how, what, what, what happened in practice. But I, I think right now as he's making this covenant with the people, things point to me to this being more a positive occasion where he's writing down to them how he should act. But we're not given much information. I grant that. Um, there are people whose hearts were valiant and they followed Saul. But we're told that some worthless men, and I think we see right away that the writer is sympathizing with those right now who are sympathetic to Saul. The valiant men went with him. The worthless men said, how can this one deliver us? But you know, there is some truth in that question. How can he deliver them? Ultimately, he's not valiant. It's going to be God who delivers And we're going to see in the next chapter, we're going to see Saul's greatest success as king. God brings deliverance. And Saul will acknowledge that it was not him, but it was God who brought the deliverance. God who deserves the honor. God who deserves the praise. But how does Saul respond to this? He I think his humility when he's called, and I'm not a Benjamite, I'm the least of tribes. He's not telling his uncle anything, hiding among the baggage. He's not saying anything at his detractors at this point. I think all of them show good things about Saul, but things that will not always be true 
of Saul. I think at this point now he is humble and he is recognizing the gravity of his position. But and he recognizing his need of God's help. I think he will in the next chapter. But things will turn. Sarah? Okay, I, I don't believe that specific term was used of Samuel's sons. It was used of Eli's sons in 2.12, but I think you're right that this is the third time. Who is the other time? Remember, Hannah said, don't regard me as a worthless woman. I think, Sarah, you're right that this is the third time. And I'm not saying that description of Solomon, of Samuel's sons doesn't fit. Because, but I don't think that exact word was used. But that, but that is that's a good point to bring up. First, I believe it's First Samuel 1 Samuel 1.16, 1 Samuel 2.12, and now 1 Samuel 10.27. Now look at 8, 3, and 2 to 3, is that's not used as Samuel. Okay. But, but a good thought. It's a good thought. And, and, and I appreciate, Lord willing, let's look at Saul's greatest success on... Sunday, Lord willing, of 1 Samuel chapter 11. We'll try to get into chapter 12 as Samuel uses this occasion to give what many people call his farewell address. Doesn't mean he's stepping off the scene, but he will no longer be the leader in the land of Israel. Thank you for your comments and your ideas.